So in Silicon Valley, there was a venture capitalist, incredible entrepreneur, uh, well-known among his competitors, titan of industry. Uh, he was famous for working 14-hour days. He just out-hustled everybody. Uh, and uh, when his family complained that he wasn't around enough, he wasn't uh, available enough, he told himself, it's okay because once I hire this position and my company breaks this uh, revenue marker and I get my board squared away, I'm going to have so much more time for them, just a little while longer. And when his doctors came to him and said, you are wearing yourself out, your body is not where it needs to be, he told himself, I know, I know, I know, but when I am able to retire early because of all the money I've made uh, over these years, then I'll be able to rest uh, and be healthy. And then, of course, one night he was up working late and he felt a pain in his chest and he fell down dead right then and there. The next week, there was a huge a funeral in his honor, citywide mayors and civic leaders and colleagues and competitors showed up from all around the country uh, to pay respects to this, again, this titan of industry, this great man, this great leader. Eulogies were given. He will be so missed. His impact will be felt for generations in our industry. And everyone went to the burial and on his headstone was written things like genius and innovator and giant. And so people paid their respects there and went home. And later that night, an angel of God showed up in the cemetery alone and wrote the one word God saw when he looked at the sum of this man's life. And he wrote on the gravestone, fool, fool. This dramatic uh, retelling of Jesus' parable of the rich fool comes from Pastor John Ortberg, who serves out in, in California in the Bay Area. You fool is how this parable ends. It's, it's a fate that none of us wants in our lives. Uh, and, and in many ways, this parable, Jesus tells us how to not be a fool with your possessions, with your wealth, with your stuff. And yet, I still feel like we, none of us want that written over our lives, and yet I'm not sure how well we're doing on this front. And so if you haven't done it yet, turn to Luke chapter 12. Uh, where, that's where this parable is. And it's, again, it's called the parable of the rich fool, Jesus gives. And in it, Jesus teaches us that when we enter his kingdom, Right? This parable is about illustrating what it looks like to enter Jesus' kingdom that he's bringing uh, in his ministry. That when we enter that kingdom, uh, we are to have a dramatically different relationship to wealth and possession uh, than the world does. And uh, I'm summarizing this as that Jesus is teaching us how not to be a fool with our stuff. So uh, maybe you're listening right now and you're, and you're already beginning to check out. It's like, I don't want to listen to a pastor or a church talk to me about money right now. I'm just, I'm, I, I don't want to listen. I'm about to turn you off. And I just want to remind you, before you do that, uh, that when Jesus described all of the parables, if you remember, he gave us the parable of the sower and he said how we listen to him has a direct bearing on whether we are able to enter his kingdom fully or not. So if you're tempted not to listen right now, I just want to remind you that this, that is the moment to press further in and to listen to Jesus. Uh, but maybe you're listening and you're just anxious. Um, you're uncomfortable. You don't like talking about money. You don't like talking about stuff. Listen, I'm kind of the same way. I don't love talking about this stuff. Uh, and yet Jesus felt this important enough to, to dedicate a significant amount, really, of the New Testament to talking about our relationship to money and wealth. And so if it's important to Jesus, it's got to be important to us. But maybe you're listening and you're, you're, you don't want to talk about this because right now, whether because of coronavirus and quarantine and the massive job losses that we're seeing, or even before then, you were struggling to make ends meet and money's really tight and you just, you just don't want to talk about this right now because 
Uh, you're barely making it as it is. And I just want to acknowledge that's very real. I know that especially right now, but not just right now, but especially right now, uh, this is an issue for many of us. And again, I just want to remind us that Jesus had no problem talking about wealth and money and possessions to a wide range of economic realities. And most of the people who are listening to him, even in this moment as he gives this parable, uh, were, dramatic, were, were, were living on less than a dollar a day. Um, this, this is a very different economic reality that Jesus is speaking into. And yet he still felt the need to talk about how do we relate to money and wealth. And so again, Jesus thinks this is very important, so we've got to talk about it. So uh, the parable is really straightforward. Um, and, uh, you know, John Albrecht does a great job retelling it that I've already done. So I want to get really practical really quickly. Uh, I think Jesus, there are at least five principles Jesus is pointing out here uh, to how to not be a fool with possessions and wealth. So I know I usually do three, but here's five. Okay. <laughs> uh, the first principle I think we see here really clearly is Jesus is teaching us that remember that none of it is yours. When it comes to wealth and possessions and stuff, remember that none of it's yours. And you really see this in the, in the telling of the parable. So again, this is Luke 12. Uh, beginning in verse 17, the, the rich fool says to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And then he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store up all my grain and my goods. So again and again and again, the, the rich fool says to himself, Me, 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 mine, mine, mine. And Jesus is subtly pointing out here that the first mistake that this guy really makes is a mistake of ownership. Whose is this stuff? Whose grain is this? Is it his or is it God's? And if you were to read through the entire Bible cover to cover, just looking at what does the Bible say about uh, our stuff? Whose is it? You would see the consistent theme that God is creator. He owns everything. And we are merely stewards. So you see that in Genesis 1 and 2, God makes everything and then he invites humanity to create wealth from what he's made. Uh, and, and then probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible is from Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and, and everything in it. It's all his. And Jesus consistently in his teaching around not only wealth and possessions, but including that, that our posture as creatures toward God is that we are stewards of what God gives. Now we're going to do a whole parable and sermon on stewardship, so I don't want to get too much into that right now. Uh, but the key here is that God is the owner, and we merely steward what he gives. So if you're a financial manager or planner, you understand this intuitively, that your job is to take someone else's stuff, to use it wisely, and then you give an account to the actual owner of what you did with that wealth. That's a very similar posture humans have with as creatures to their creator. What have you done with the gifts I've given you? Which includes, yes, your stuff, but it includes more than that, but it, it definitely includes your stuff and your possessions and your wealth. So what I want us to do is to begin reframing, uh, even in this sermon, I'm going to do my best, but reframing the question that I think many of us bring when it comes to wealth. I think many really well-intentioned people uh, who are seeking biblical wisdom or godly counsel around money they come to the Bible or they come to a conversation or they go to prayer and they say, God, what do you want me to do with my money? When clearly in this text, what we're learning is the question we actually need to begin with is, God, what do you want me to do with your money? It's yours. I'm a steward. God, what am I supposed to do with this? If we, be, if we can continue to remember it's not ours, we are 
automatically on a wiser track than the rich fool when it comes to how we relate to stuff. So that's number one. Remember, none of it's, none of it's ours. None of it's ours. Number two, remember that it will not satisfy. Wealth and possessions will not satisfy. And you see this really uh, when Jesus, again, tells the parable. It's, it's the rich fool's solution to the problem of having too much. He says, what am I going to do with all my stuff? And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns because they're not big enough. And I'm going to build even bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. Now, this is really critical. Listen to what he says next. And I will say to my soul or myself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And right after this, Jesus begins to teach about anxiety and how we are to live free from anxiety because our needs will be met. So you're beginning to see the psychology of the rich fool here is that one of the reasons he wants to build bigger barns and have more is he wants to be able to relax, relax eat, drink, and be merry. He's, he's anxious. He's scared. He doesn't feel secure in his life. He doesn't have enough. He has a scarcity mindset. So he thinks, I'll only be happy if I get more and more and more. And for many of us, I think that is our primary relationship to wealth and possessions is I need more to be okay. I need more to be comfortable. Just a little bit more and then I'll feel safe. Then I'll be able to be generous. Then I'll be able uh, to feel comfortable in my life. But Jesus is pointing out here that that wealth can never do that for you. Only God can give you that security. Your money, your stuff can never do that. As Pastor Tom loves to say, this, when Jesus teaches about wealth, he, his primary focus is not just what you have, but what has you. What are you worshiping? What are you going to looking for things that only God can give you? And I think this explains in part why Jesus uh, consistently, especially in the Gospel of Luke, points to the materially poor and says they have a spiritual advantage when it comes to entering my kingdom because they don't have the luxury of looking to their stuff to make them feel better. They never have enough to feel better, ever. They know I have to look to God if I'm ever going to be safe and secure in my life. He has to provide because I don't have enough to provide for myself or I have barely enough to provide for myself. It's the materially wealthy who have an option, who can say, yeah, I really, really like Jesus and what he says, but man, I really, really love my stuff too. Is there a way to have both? Jesus says, no, you cannot worship God and money, he says elsewhere when he teaches about wealth and possessions. So if you find yourself using money to make you feel safe and secure and comfortable, Please note from this story, you will never have enough to achieve that. You will only build bigger and bigger and bigger barns. It doesn't work. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't meet the need you're actually trying to have met. Primarily for one reason. There's lots of reasons, but primarily for one. This is our next principle. The reason it doesn't ultimately satisfy, Jesus points out here, is that because it doesn't last. Remember that it will not last. Wealth and possessions do not last. And that you really see that in, in God's final word over the rich fool in the parable, which is, you fool, your life is demanded of you tonight, and where will all your stuff go? You fool. Notice God could have called him greedy, could have called him evil, could have called him stingy, could have called him a hoarder, right? You, you evil person, you greedy person, but he doesn't lead with any of that. He says, you, you fool. The problem is not simply that you haven't done good with your wealth and possessions. It's that you were dumb with them. You were dumb. Because it doesn't last. Money and wealth do not last. You treated them like they do, and they don't. 
um, either it leaves us in this life or we leave it for the next. There are no exceptions to that rule. I was listening to a podcast recently uh, of people talking about, uh, actually it was a sports podcast, but they started talking about death because that's just kind of where we are culturally these days. Anyway, uh, and one of the commentators said, you know, in the last 10 minutes of my life and Jeff Bezos' life, we will be thinking about the same thing. Neither of us are going to be asking, how's my portfolio right now? How's my savings account? What's my business look like right now? We're going to be asking, do the people I love know that I love them? Did I use my time wisely? Did I steward my life well? Is there an impact that I'm leaving that's better than how I found it? Right? There are no exceptions to this rule. Death is the great equalizer when it comes to money and wealth and possessions. We all end up in the same place. It doesn't last. And I love how John Ortberg, again, he illustrates this point. Every time I, I talk about wealth and possessions and money, I, I use this story. So if you've heard it before, just bear with me. But he tells the story of when he was growing up, how he would go to his grandmother's house every summer. Her name is Golda. And that she would always beat him at Monopoly. Just he, he could never beat her. She would wipe the floor with him at this game until one fateful summer, uh, he finally was able to beat her. Just listen to how he describes this. He says, I looked at my grandmother. This was the woman who taught me how to play. She was an old lady by now, a widow. She'd raised my mother. She loved my mother. She loved me. And I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give up her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment in my life. But she had one more thing to teach me. All those houses and hotels, all that property, boardwalk and park place, the railroads, the utility companies, all those thousands of dollars my grandmother said when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. It all goes back in the box. That, by the way, is the name of John Orberg's book where he shares that story. We know this is true, right? We learn this at an early age that when the game is over, all that stuff goes back in the box. And yet sometimes we live as if we get to take this stuff with us and we don't. So maybe you're asking yourself, okay, well, what does it look like to truly live wisely and invest wisely in this life while it matters? Jesus' point here is there is a short, short window where your wealth and your money and your possessions can make a difference. And after that, they won't anymore. So how do we invest wisely in this life? And this is my last point here. This is Jesus' application. He says, be rich toward God. How do we be wise? We're rich toward God. And I think that that means a couple of things. The first is it means we invest in things that God cares about. If we love God, we should love what God loves. And we should invest with him and move his mission forward there in the areas that he loves. The human tendency, and I think we all know this, is to measure life, especially as it's being lived, to measure the worth of a human life by what we achieve and what we earn. It's just kind of the way the world works. Jesus is saying, the way my Father's kingdom works is the value of your, of your life and your contribution is measured by what you generously give away to other people. That's what God loves and delights in. He delights in stories of generosity. And so do we, right? We love these stories. I mean, just imagine how much better a parable this would be, how much better a story it would be. If this guy gets to the central question of his dilemma, what am I going to do with all my stuff? I have too much stuff. What am I going to do? Imagine if he said, you know what? I'm going to start a company 
that employs vulnerable people in my community who can't otherwise find good work. I'm going to train them and empower them to make our city better, and we're going to make a killer product at the same time. That's a, who doesn't want to hear that story? That's an amazing story. Or if he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start and support a local nonprofit that works on this issue that I know my community really needs help with. Or I'm going to help my neighbor who's in a financial crisis right now. Or I'm going to give to my local church, or in his case, my local synagogue, because I know God loves his people so that we can fulfill God's mission in the world to be the hope of the world together. I'm going to invest there. Any of that, any of it, is better than saying, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build bigger barns. That's what I'm going to do. That's a horrible ending to someone's life. So here's my homework for you. Look at your financial statement this week and, and, and calculate if you're spending more on your own entertainment and convenience than you are giving away monthly to support your church, to support uh, people in your life specifically, to support uh, nonprofits, uh, whatever it is. If, you're, if you are spending more on your own entertainment and convenience than you are giving away generously, I want you to take a look at that and ask yourself, am I being rich toward God or am I being rich toward me? Ask yourself that question this week. And then push yourself further. Get creative in how you give things away. God delights in generosity, all kinds of generosity. It's what the abundance is for. Read the Bible, the whole biblical story. Whenever God blesses people, it's always to be a blessing. He says, I'm giving you this to steward for other people. That goes all the way back to Abraham and Sarah. A blessing to be a blessing. And here's why we can be generous. Here's why we, we can do this and we can do it with a posture of excitement as a gift, the gift of giving. It's when we remember that God has always been rich toward us. He's always been rich toward us. Nothing empowers generosity like remembering God's generosity to each one of us. We don't often talk about the gospel uh, as, a, as an act of generosity, uh, but it is. And actually, the Apostle Paul puts it just that way in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He's, he's encouraging the Gentile churches to take up a love offering, not a, a, a special offering outside of their normal giving, to support the Jerusalem church, which was under famine. And he says this to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul's saying there's a great generosity exchange in the gospel. When we put our faith in Jesus, we recognize that what he has done as the Son of God, as he has left the wealth and beauty of heaven behind, which is indescribable. I mean, read any Bible story about someone entering God's throne room, his presence, and they are grasping at straws to describe the beauty and the, and the glory and the power of that place. The imagery, it, it, you know, it, it barely is able to capture what they're seeing and hearing and sensing. That's the kind of wealth. It's wealth indescribable that Jesus leaves behind and becomes poor. He becomes human. And not just any human, but a carpenter's son. And he says, if anyone would put their faith in me, they become a son or a daughter in my Father's kingdom. And because you're a son or a daughter, this gospel entitles you to everything, Jesus says, that is mine. My inheritance 
becomes your inheritance. All that is his, seriously, all of it. Wealth unimaginable, Jesus says, is stored up for you when you believe the gospel, that we enter his presence and his glory. If we have that guaranteed, which is the language of the New Testament, it is a guaranteed inheritance sealed by the Holy Spirit. If we have that, we do not need to build bigger barns in this life. We don't have to do that. Jesus says, I have held nothing back from you so that increasingly in your life, you will hold nothing back from me. And together, we can do incredible things if you steward wisely what I've entrusted to you. We can be rich toward God because we know he always has and has been and always will be rich toward us.